when we talk about a strategic plan to win the lost, there are so many aspects of this conversation that I could share with you from the Word of God, but God only led me to three specific concepts that I've been sharing in these three weeks. The first one was the ancient strategy of the early church, where I told you about a man named Matthew who found out about Jesus and decided to host a party where he invited all of his friends to the party and he invited Jesus to the party to mingle with the crowd. It was a great idea. And that is very much how the early church spread the message of Jesus through social interaction. We talked about the ancient strategy to win the lost. In the second sermon last week, we talked about God's strategy to win the world. We talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we sent you, not just the Holy Spirit, but you to an individual to draw them to Jesus. Today, we're talking about that first week, ancient strategy. Second week, God's strategy. Third week, the Las Vegas strategy to win the lost. Today's sermon is entitled, The Lifestyle of a Las Vegas Christian. The lifestyle of a Las Vegas Christian. Oh, I, I'm curious. How many of you were born and raised in Las Vegas? You are truly Vegas born. Raise your hand. How many of you are like that? Wow, that's more than I thought might be. Wow. Raise your hand real high. Be proud of it. How many of you are born? I was born and raised in Vegas. Yes. Yes. I love to see this. It's like 20, 25% of the crowd. Maybe, maybe 20% of the crowd. Um, I, I, I love Vegas born people. I I was driving uh, from California yesterday. I spoke at a church there on Friday and Saturday. And last night I was driving into Las Vegas with all of the other people coming to the Super Bowl. What a pleasure that was. <laughs> and as my wife and I were driving, we got behind a truck, giant big truck. And on the back of the truck, it said, Vegas born. And it had the Golden Knights logo. And I'm like, yeah. And then I looked at the license plate. It was from California. And I'm like, that's not, you're, that's what, fine, whatever, right? Because a lot of you that live in Vegas are not from Vegas. I want to ask you that question. How many of you live in Vegas, but you're not from Vegas? Raise your hand. How many of you like that? Like I said, like 80, maybe 80 more percent of the crowd here, not from Las Vegas. Okay, here's another question. How many of you are living in Vegas, not from Vegas, but you were a Christian, before you moved to Las Vegas. So you were a Christian before you came to Las Vegas. You moved here as a Christian. How many of you are like that? Raise your hand. Okay, I would say maybe about 40 to 50% of the crowd. Christian before you came. What was it like explaining to your Christian family and friends <laughs> that you were moving to Las Vegas? Do you remember that conversation? I remember where I, when I met my dear sweet wife who was from Alabama, <laughs> the heart of God's country, <laughs> where God was born and raised, you know what I mean? And explaining to her family that I was going to take their beautiful, sweet southern princess and move her to Las Vegas, Nevada, where they welcome you with open, sinful arms. 
Do you remember what the stereotypes were like? People not understanding why a Christian would move to Las Vegas and what it's like for a Christian. So a lot of people don't. And so I often have a chance to speak outside of this church. You graciously, as your pastor, allow me to go and speak in other places. And occasionally when I speak in other places, not true, always when I speak in other places, I most often begin with jokes about Christians living in Las Vegas. These are jokes you never hear me tell because I only use them out there. And often what I'll do is I'll begin by saying, Yes, I'm a pastor from Las Vegas, and pastoring in Las Vegas is very unique. It's very different, and people are on the edge of their seat, you know. They want to know, what is it like to be a Christian living in Vegas? And I'll say, well, first of all, I said, one of the things that's interesting for us is in our offering plates every Sunday, people put poker chips. And you should see the eyes of people in Indiana. They're like, that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> like they absolutely, like that's our currency here. You know what I mean? Now, how many of you are ushers in the room? Thank God for ushers. How many ushers in the room? Have you ever seen a poker chip actually in the plate? Yes or no? No, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But, but I lie to them. <laughs> it's a good way to start a sermon, amen? Just lie to the crowd and... And then I say this, I always follow up and I say, now, we get some poker chips, but the Catholic church <laughs> down the road, they get a lot of poker chips, way more poker chips than that. They have way more. In fact, the local Catholic diocese has created a separate segment of priests just to count the poker chips. Do you know what they call them? Chipmunks. <laughs> it's a stupid joke. Don't laugh at the dumb joke. Don't, you're better than that. Don't laugh at that joke. It's a terrible joke. Because people don't understand how is it possible to be a Christian and live in Las Vegas or have a church and live in Las Vegas. Now, here's the thing. You already know you are a Christian living in Las Vegas, but maybe you're a Christian who just moved here, and you might be like, what does it look like to be a Christian living in the city? I'm going to tell you today. Or maybe you are new to Jesus, but you're not new to um, Las Vegas. And so you're either new to Las Vegas, but... Uh, not new to Jesus, or you're new to Jesus, but not new to Las Vegas, and you're kind of wondering, how do I pull together the lifestyle of a Christian and living in this city? And that's what today's sermon is all about. Today's sermon, we are to live as Christ in the city of Las Vegas. We are to live as Christ. Jeffrey, could you get me some water? Uh, thanks. Um, we are to live, don't worry, I'm okay. He's a professional EMT. He knows what he's doing, all right? Watch him bring back Kool-Aid. Okay. <laughs> we are to live like Jesus in the city of sin. What is the lifestyle of a Las Vegas Christian? I'm going to give you four thoughts and we're going to get out of here. Here they are, four thoughts. We think differently. Number two, we live missionally. Number three, we listen intentionally. And then number four, we pray strategically. We think differently, we live missionally, we listen intentionally, we pray strategically. 
When I say that a Las Vegas Christian thinks differently, I'm not just saying that a Las Vegas Christian thinks differently than other Christians. I'm saying that Las Vegas Christians think differently than Las Vegans. How many of you are followers of Christ today? If you are, give me an amen. amen. Have you realized that you think about the world a little differently than your unsaved friends? Thank you, Jeffrey. Have you, have you realized that you think differently? Do you know why? Because I've mentioned it the last two Sundays, the Holy Spirit has been given to you and he changes not only the world, he changes you. And in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, it explains how your mind is beginning to shift based upon the fact that God lives inside of you now. Are you a believer in Jesus? If you are, say amen. amen. Okay, here's what happens. You sanctify God in your heart. That is, there's a place in which he lives. You're always ready to give an answer for, for Christ. And one of the things he does when he lives inside of you is he changes the way you think. It's called sanctification. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And Paul, the apostle, is speaking to the church at Rome. And Romans lived, uh, well, let's just say differently. And the perspective of the day was that, well, when you're in Rome, right? When in Rome... You do as the Romans do. And in Las Vegas, those who visit say, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, which what we mean by that is hopefully all of your money. <laughs> Go locals, right? But what we realize as Christians is that just because we live in Las Vegas doesn't mean we live like Las Vegas. Just because we live in Las Vegas doesn't mean we think like Las Vegans. And so Paul was telling the Romans, I beg you, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies, who you are, as a living sacrifice to him. Holy, he goes on, goes on, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That means it is not unreasonable for God to ask you to give your life back to God. You say, I think it is unreasonable. It's not unreasonable because he gave his body for you. Because he gave his life for you and you've received it, you are called upon to give your life to him. And then it talks about this in verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Isn't it fascinating to you that the world just tries to conform everybody to the same mindset? They talk about diversity. They talk about uniqueness. But the reality is the world doesn't want you to be diverse and unique. The world wants to stamp you with their image, make you think like everybody else, live like everybody else, worship the same false gods as everybody else. They want to conform you. They don't want you to be unique and different follower of God. They want to mold you into their image. And so Paul says, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed. How, Paul? Here it is. Go in the next verse here. By the renewing, oh, there it is. By the renewing of your mind. How transformation takes place is that your mind begins to shift on everything. You think differently. 
we as Christians in Las Vegas think differently. We don't see ourselves as Las Vegans. We see ourselves as Christians first. You say, Pastor, aren't you Vegas born? I was Vegas born and I was Vegas bred. And when I die, I'll be Vegas dead. <laughs> I love this city. But I got to tell you, I am not first and foremost a Las Vegan. I'm a Christian. I am not first and foremost an American. I'm a Christian. Which means I don't think like they think. I think like Christ thinks. I don't live like they think live. I live like Christ lives. And it all begins with a shift in the mindset that says, no, I am not them. So uh, this is why we don't think about ourselves the way they think about themselves. Have you ever heard the argument, for example, people say, well, you know, men, men are biologically constructed and through millions of years of evolution are biologically prone against monogamy, right? Men are not going to be monogamous. And if you ever read that from a Las Vegas perspective, you're thinking that's actually probably pretty much true. That's how they think. That's how they think, but that's not how we think because we're not them. Does this, does this make sense? People say, well, you know, teenagers. I mean, teenagers are prone to rebellion. I mean, it's just natural. At some point, they're going to hate their parents. They're going to run from their parents. They're going to fight their parents. They're going to push back at their parents. And I would say that's absolutely true for them. That's not true for us because we think differently. Even our children and our teenagers think differently. Do you understand? This is so important to get deep inside of your soul, whether you're 13 years old or you're 91 years old. If we put our identity as an American, as a Las Vegan, as a whatever it might be, then we're not thinking of ourselves as men and women of the kingdom of Christ. Thinking differently. I remember I was counseling a man who really struggled with his anger, and I sat down with him. This is years and years ago. And he said, yeah, pastor, I just, I really get angry, like all the time. And I said, why do you think that is? He said, because I'm Irish. <laughs> he said, pastor, I have a proclivity to anger because I'm Irish. And I said, like, when did you move from Ireland? No, my grandpa. <laughs> and I'm like, what did they do to you in Ireland? You know, like the, and I told him, I said, That's, I'm glad to know that. Your grandpa came from Ireland. My grandpa came from the Middle East. You have a proclivity to get angry. I have a proclivity to blow things up. <laughs> Don't get offended. I can make that joke. <laughs> you can, you can. Should I give in to this generational sin? Because I take my identity in some sort of no, it's stupid. That's stupid. By the way, isn't it amazing to you how the world likes to classify us and divide us? 
I am from this. I am from that. This is my race. This is my ethnicity. This is my culture. And constantly, it's almost like there's a, a group of things or beings out there that are invested in humans not getting along. As we take our identity in something that should not be taken, that's the way they think. That's not how we think. Because they are Las Vegans. Pa pastor, pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying you're not they. You're not them. We love them, but we are not them. Do you understand? And so it begins with a different mindset. Number one, you we think differently. That's how we live as a Las Vegas Christian. We think differently. Number two, number two, we live missionally. I want you to say that with me. I'm going to say number two. You say we live missionally. Number two, we live missionally. What does that mean, Pastor? The answer to that question is you are a missionary. So am I. I know, I know Christians tend to think, wow, missionaries. Somebody goes to Africa. Somebody goes to Honduras. That's a missionary. Friend, look, look at me. You are a missionary. You don't have to go somewhere to be one. You were already sent to the worst city in the world. <laughs> what I mean by that is sinful. Am I right? What, you think it's an accident God sent you? You're a missionary. Not everybody's going to understand this, especially all the Christians in South Carolina or Tennessee or Texas or Alabama. I remember I was 15 years old, born and raised in Vegas. I spent the summer um, at a camp in Arizona. And my job, you'll never guess what my job was. My job was to be a cowboy. Can you tell? <laughs> it was. It was my job. I had to put on a cowboy hat every day and boots. And I put on the whole cowboy. And I went out and I led uh, trail rides. And I had a great time. I actually really, really enjoyed that. If you love horses, I'd love to talk. I love horses too. My, my horse's name was Cherokee. Beautiful paint. And every single day as we would go out and come back in, I, 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 I spent so much time in the mountains with God. Enjoyed every moment of that. But one of the things that I really struggled with was because it was a camp that had national influence is that we had a chance to be um, around a lot of other Christians from very, very uh, Christian, I put that in quotes, Christian cultures around the country. Right? They, they came to visit. And I'll never forget, I, I, I was talking to a minister. I'm 15 years old. I was done with my trail rides. I sat on a, on a park bench. I'm drinking a Coca-Cola. And I'm sitting there talking to this guy. And he said to me, he said, hey, son. He's a minister. A minister. He said, hey, son. He said, um, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm five hours from here in Las Vegas. I, I live in Las Vegas. He said, Las Vegas? He said, I thought your daddy was a pastor. And I said, yes, sir, he is a pastor. He's a, he's a pastor in Las Vegas. Now, again, this man has never been outside the city of Greenville, South Carolina, probably once in his life. It's hard for people in the bubble to understand outside the bubble. Can I get an amen? So he said to me, he said, but, he said, can you help me understand something, son? I said, sure. And again, 15 years old, love Jesus, trying to follow God. And he said, how is it possible that your father would move 
his Christian family to a city like that. Don't you think that you're being like Lot who moved his family to Sodom and Gomorrah? And I remember the story in the Bible and basically everybody dies. And I looked at him and I'm like, I don't know. Am I Lot living in Sodom? I don't want to die or turn into salt or something. I don't know what's going to happen. Really it bothered me. He's a minister of God who's never been outside of South Carolina. And he meets a sinner. So I, I went and called my dad. Um, and that was back when there wasn't cell phones. There was, um, I mean, they had the blocks, but I didn't have one. They had a, pho- uh, uh, you, you remember these uh, pay phones? And, and we would get little cards. Uh, what were those called? Phone cards, right? Right, with minutes. And I had minutes, so I, I went over and I went to the, you know, I pulled the thing off and I, do, 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 It's a lot of numbers back then, you remember? I mean, it was a lot of numbers. And you got it wrong, you had to do it again. Finally, I got through to my dad. I'm like, Dad. He's like, hey, son, what are you doing? I said, good. Are you Lot? He said, what? I said, you know in the Bible how Lot took his family to the worst city in the world and he lost his whole family? He said, where is this coming from? I said, I was talking to a minister. My dad said, where is he from? I said, South Carolina. He said, that makes sense. He said, son. I said, he told me we are Lot who lives in Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, son. He said, you go back to that man and say, we are not living as Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. We're living as Jonah in the city of Nineveh. We are the preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ here to win the city to Jesus. So I did. I thought that was good. I hung up and <laughs> ran over, you know. I'll tell you the story some other time. Friend, when you begin to realize who you are, you're a missionary, things begin to make sense in this city. This is what Paul was saying about the Corinthians. Look what he said to the Corinthians. He was saying to a very wicked culture, good Christians in a wicked culture. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. He says, for though I am free from all men, how many of you are thankful for freedom? Can I get an amen? amen? Now, he was talking to a culture that understood a lot of slavery. In fact, some of the Greco-Roman cities had a 50% slave ratio to freemen. That's crazy. That's insane. So these people understood what it was like to understand freedom or slavery. For though, he says, I am a free man, I have chosen to make myself a slave to everybody. What? Nobody in that society would choose to be a slave. And now Paul is saying, I am free, but I've chosen to become a slave. To who, Paul? Everybody. I do for everybody what I got to do to serve them. That I might, why would you do this, Paul? That I might win the more. See, Paul understood life is very short, his freedom not that valuable. What he was willing to do is give up his personal freedom so that he could win people to Jesus Christ. He became a missionary. So he lived as a missionary. This is what missionaries do. I went to college with one of the 
I, I went to college with a missionary to Mexico. He's a missionary in Mexico now. But I went to college with him. He's the whitest guy I've ever known. White. <laughs> and he moves to Mexico. And then he comes back as a missionary. You know what he does? He comes back and he always had a mustache. Just a mustache. Way, way South Mexico. Big cowboy hat, cowboy boots, big cowboy buckle. Spoke Spanish. Even when he spoke English, he sounded like he had a Mexican accent. It's almost like he gave up his entire identity so he could serve a people he had never known. Do you know why? Because he's a missionary. He's a missionary. Do you understand? That's what Paul says. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew so that I could win the Jews. Basically, he's saying, look, when I'm around Jewish people, if they want me to eat kosher, great. If they want me to wear one of the yarmulkes, I'll wear a yarmulke. Why? Because I like the Jews. I want, them to, tell, I want to tell them about Jesus. And to those who were outside the law, I became like those who were outside the law so that I can win those who are outside the law. To the Gentiles, he spent time with Gentiles. And he's like, if I'm with Gentiles, they want to feed me a ham sandwich? I'm good with a ham sandwich. They want me to wear a Greek tunic? I'll wear a Greek tunic. Why? Because I don't care what I wear. I don't care what I eat. I'll serve anybody to tell them about Jesus. That I might win those who are outside the law. Look, the scripture goes on. I love how Paul concludes this. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. There it is. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I by my all means save some. I am willing to become whatever I need to become in order to win a few people to Jesus Christ. Now I do this. Why? For the gospel's sake that I might be a partaker of it with you. I conform whatever I have to do, not to what the world wants me to be, but to what the people need me to be so they'll listen to the message of Jesus. That's what a missionary does. Do you see? So, I got, I got, a, pair of, um, got a pair of Nike Jordans about a year ago. My first pair. Yeah. I didn't buy them. But somebody gave them to me. And I was like, this is, aw by the way, it's a good idea. <laughs> Give me a pair of Nike Jordans and I wore them. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll wear them for church. But then I remember part of my mind was like, you know you're a 41-year-old man. And wearing bright yellow shiny shoes might make some of the Christians look down upon you. So I got them from a friend, I'll, I'll wear them. So I wore them. You'll never guess what happened after the service. Like 12 young adults came to me and they're like, Pastor, nice J's. <laughs> and until that moment, I didn't even know they were called J's. You know what I mean? I was like, hmm? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, they're, they're nice. And I remember that Sunday, I was standing up here talking to people, and there's always a little bit of a line. And if you've never received Jesus or want to talk to the pastor about how to be saved, come and talk to me after the service. But there's a little bit of a line, and people were waiting to talk. And I, and I noticed this little boy standing right over here. He's about nine years old, and he's standing there with his mom. And, and they finally came right up to me. And uh, she kind of rolled her eyes. She said, he wanted to see your shoes. I said, oh, yeah, my J's, yeah, for sure. And he looked down, he showed me his, I showed him mine. And she said to me, she said, man, he just, he loves, he loves your shoes. He lo I mean, it, and he wanted to come talk about 
my shoes. Say, why'd you wear those shoes? Why do I wear those shoes now? Because I want to talk to nine-year-olds about Jesus. Do, do, you do you understand? There's a reason why your pastor sometimes dresses like a 17-year-old. It's strategic. I'm a missionary. You say, well, what about the man from Tennessee who got shaved 42 years ago and moved and doesn't like that dress? That's fine. He already knows Jesus. I'm not here for him. And neither are you. You're a missionary. Yeah? So just like Jesus, he came to a culture, he adapted to the culture, he lived among sinful men without participating in the sin of man in order to reach man. You'll never understand our church unless you understand that thought. Number one, number one, we think differently. Number two, we live missionally. Number three, we listen intentionally. We spend time intentionally listening for people who need help. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. I already mentioned this verse. That is, set a special place in your heart. Set aside God in your heart. And always be ready to give a defense for everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready, after you set aside God in your heart, be ready that when people come and ask you about the hope that is inside of you, be ready to tell them about Jesus. So what does that look like practically? We listen. The reason why Christians are not winning the world is what, because, because we speak more than we listen. You need to listen. What are you listening for? You're listening for moments of joy, moments of pain, and moments of change. That's what you're listening for. The people you work with, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your relatives, people who don't know yet Jesus. Brent, this is what you're looking for. You're looking for, you're listening for the moments of joy in their life. When they say something like, man, we just got married. That's, that's great. That's the moment. Say the moment for what? I'll get to it. Moments of pain. They say things like, yeah, they just, I just got some bad news from a doctor. That is a diagnosis. That's, that's a moment. And God has led you to that moment, you see. Moments of change. Yeah, we just, we just moved to the city like six months ago. No kidding. You, which part of the city? Oh, such and such neighborhood. Really? Mountain's Edge? That's, that's interesting. That's a moment. Do you, under, do you understand? This is not an accident. God has given you a moment. What are you going to do with the moment? When they say these things, the Holy Spirit says, invite them. Invite them. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be awkward. It's very simple. You say, man, I'm so excited about your new baby. You know, whenever we started raising our family, we needed a place to go to church. And I've got a great church. Would you like to come? Does it make sense? Oh, man. I remember when my aunt was going through that situation. I'm really sorry to hear about that diagnosis. The thing that brought us most comfort was God during that time. 
This is our church, and we'd love for her and you to come sometime. You see? It's an easy transition. You say, Pastor, shouldn't you do that? I'm not there. You are. Do you think maybe God knows that you're probably the better person to do it since he put you there and not me? Moments of change. We just moved to the valley. We're just over here, and we can't wait. And, like, it's new. This is the hour. Oh, man, I'm so glad. There's a church right around the corner. We listen intentionally so that we can leverage the moment and bring people to Jesus Christ. What do we do in Las Vegas? We think differently. We live missionally. We listen intentionally. And then lastly, we pray strategically. By the way, this is something that your staff does, your church staff does for, for you. Like just on um, Wednesday, our staff got together, the whole staff, and Heather was leading a staff meeting that day, and she brought out all the cards of the people that you're praying for to get saved, and a lot of you that are doing the Super Bowl parties and names of people that you've invited, and we started giving them out to all the staff, and we separated in different groups of two, and we prayed over your parties, we prayed over the names of people that you're bringing to Christ. Why? Because we believe that we cannot do anything in our own power. We must do what we're doing in the power of Christ. So we pray. Now, I wanna share with you a Bible verse, and we'll close, and we'll get to our chicken wings in the game. But this Bible verse about prayer is something I don't think I've ever in 20 years ever preached this Bible verse to our church. But it's a verse that I've looked at almost every week for the last 15 years. It's a prayer that Paul preaches about speaking the gospel. It's a prayer that he prays for himself before he teaches. And by the way, in a lot of my Bibles, I have this prayer right at the front cover so that I can look at it and I can pray through it right before I come and talk to you. Some of you think, oh man, he's a great public speaker. And there's an element of practice that I've spoken publicly, but that's not what you're experiencing. What you're experiencing is an answer to prayer when I go to God and I ask him for this. This is what I pray. Before I talk about God to you, this is what I pray. Before you talk to God about, or talk to them about God, this is what you should pray. Here it is. I pray that God would open to me a door for the word. God, can you give me an open door to, to talk about the Bible? Will you open that door? Because I can't force that door open. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Paul said, I want an open door to talk about the mysteries of Jesus because I'm chained to Jesus. That's all I want for my life. Like I'm a slave to not only the people, I'm a slave to Christ and I want to speak this mystery. So open the door that I might speak it and be manifest as I ought to speak, that I might say the words that I should say and avoid all the words I shouldn't say. Have you ever been nervous telling somebody about Jesus? You're like, what, what am I gonna say? Pray, God help me not to say the dumb things. Help me say the good ones. Walking in wisdom toward those who are outside the faith. 
God, help me to say the things that would not be offensive to those who are outside the faith. I'm going to be wise in what I say. The prayer goes on. Redeeming the time. God, don't let me waste this moment. Let me purchase this moment and tell people about Jesus. Let my speech always be with grace. There's a lot of Christians who don't speak with grace. They speak with definitive opinion and not grace. Seasoned with salt. Help it to be flavorful. How many say things that are interesting and compelling and funny and seasoned that I may know how I ought to answer each one? God, I, I want to know how to answer the questions of everybody I tell about Jesus. We have found that this process of living like a Christian in a city of sin has helped a lot of people come to know Jesus in this city. This church is not about gathering Christians from Kentucky. This church is about reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know what you're thinking. You're like, man, like save sin city. Like, good luck. I get it. I do. It reminds me of a story of a man who walked out on Santa Monica Pier one day after a great storm came through the Pacific and crashed the waves up on the seashore. And, and when, he, when it did, it left behind an incredible array of shells and sea life and seaweed and starfish. And as he looked out on this beautiful moment of nature, he looked down and he noticed a boy, maybe, maybe like nine years old, walking down the beach. And the little boy was stopping every couple of feet and picking up a starfish and throwing it into the water. And he thought to himself, as he looked down the beach all the way over to Beverly Hills and saw thousands of starfish. He thought, there's no, what's this kid doing? Hey, kid! He walked down the pier and walked up and said, hey, what, what are you doing? He said, I'm just throwing some starfish in. When the sun comes out, it's going to bake these starfish and the starfish are going to die. And I just, I don't want to see all the starfish die. He said, kid, I, you can't see it from here, but like, there are thousands of starfish. You're not making much of a difference. And the kid very wisely leaned down and he picked up one single starfish and he said, makes a difference to this one. And he threw it in the water. Look, I, I can't win the world for Jesus, neither can you. That's God has to deal with the world. but you can help save the one. That's strategic. And I gotta tell you, if we don't get strategic, we are not going to win this city for Jesus.